If you're looking to find out what property you should buy, looking to just get started and how to find a great real estate agent, we got you covered in this episode upcoming. Let's go. Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. So as I alluded in the opening of today's episode, it's another one of those three for ones, if you will. Three episodes in one. And this is another wonderful in-depth conversation I have with my good friend and business partner, Mr. Jason Mattern out of Edmonton, Alberta. Um, Guys, just been loving all the feedback and loving all the engagement that you've been having with this podcast. And as you can tell, you know, we put a lot of time and effort and a lot of resources and a lot of um, thought process of sharing our experiences and sharing our wisdom and sharing some of our knowledge. And I just wanted to just thank you, first of all, thank you for engaging with this podcast. Thank you for sharing it with others. Thank you for, you know, providing the incredible feedback. Some of the feedback I've been receiving has just been absolutely heartwarming. And I have a quick story for you. Um, was actually just... Um, So two stories. Number one story is probably as of the airing of this podcast, um, you know, we're probably going to be passing, you know, over 10,000 downloads. Now, I know that's very modest results of something. And, you know, I never had really grandiose um, ambitions from the very, very beginning. You know, sorry, let me rephrase that. I had grandiose ambitions, but I had did not attach myself to any numbers or any results or any of that kind of stuff. I wanted to just put something out that made a difference, that made an impact, that helped people on their journey moving forward. And it was mostly just kind of a little bit of a pet project of just sharing my knowledge and wisdom of what I've learned over the past, you know, 20 some years in this game of real estate, sharing some people that I know, sharing some really cool resources, just be be of value, be of service to help you. So to hit that first milestone of 10,000 downloads, I'm very honored by that. And it's it's interesting. So here is the story is I was having a conversation with a podcasting expert, somebody who launches podcasts, somebody who helps podcasts go to number one um, out there in the marketplace. And he reached out to me and said, Russ, you know, I've been hearing lots of great things about your podcast. Would love to see if there's some resources that I can help you with. And I said, you know what, what the heck, let's have the conversation. So um, reached out, had the conversation shared a lot of really key insights and cool things. And, you know, but remember this, for me, this is not about getting it out to the number one in the category and having millions and millions of downloads. Don't get me wrong. I'd be honored and it'd be awesome if there was millions of downloads each week, but I'm not attaching myself to that. Um, But he shared one statistic that he looks at when he shares with a lot of his podcast um, people, podcast hosts. That's a very important metric that he likes to measure sharing um, the depth and the engagement that you have with your audience. And there's this stat called average time per device, meaning so essentially it's over a 60-day period where what is the average time per device of people that would be listening to it over a two-month period, right? So it just shows that, that it's good quality material and people are engaging and people are spending time with the podcast. And I said, well, I have no idea. I didn't... I was talking to him and I go, geez, I didn't even know that there were statistics. Uh, Really, I didn't know. Um, So he walked me through in a screencast and walked me through to find this place where you can find average time per device over a 60-day window. And he he said, he goes, he looks at it and goes, Russ, he goes, am I I reading that right? And I go, "Uh, that bad? And he goes, goes, no. He goes, most people, when I do things like top podcasts, we're kind of looking around that hour, hour to an hour and a half mark on an average time per device um, over a 60-day period. And he says, that's a fantastic thing. This is an hour to an hour and a half. And, and we looked at the number, and my, mine was, uh, for this podcast, was two hours and 47 minutes. So almost three hours per device over a 60-day period. So the reason why I'm saying this is not to flex and to impress you, but what I'm really trying to say is I'm trying to impress upon you that that was the intention from the beginning is I set the intention that I wanted to have something of quality, something of value that people spent some time with. 
that people really, we engaged and we had a conversation. It's about a relationship and it's not just about, you know, downloading something really, really quick. You know, at the end of the day, that's what, in my personal opinion, that's what YouTube is for. You just go to YouTube to get something really quick and, you know, get the answer and, you know, attention deficit theater and that's YouTube. But the podcast is something a little bit more of a relationship building. It's a little bit more intimate. That really, if you think about it, is for most of you, if you are listening to this right now, I might be, you might be doing something else. I mean, you might be wearing earbuds. You might be, you know, walking your dog. You might be exercising. You might be out mowing the lawn, right? You're doing something else and we're forming a relationship. So that's what I'm trying to share with you is that's what I tended to do from the beginning. And it's just nice to see when you see um, some numbers and some t- statistics say that one again, some statistics that back up um, an intention that you set out from the beginning. With all that being said, what I wanted to say, first and foremost, is the only reason why that is possible is because thanks to you. Thanks to you, the incredible listeners. Thanks to you for really sharing this message. And thanks to you for engaging and taking the time to um, engage, but most most importantly, implement what you're learning. Okay, now speaking of implementation, let's get to this episode. This episode today is a lot about implementation. So again, I have a good conversation with my good friend Jason Mattern, and we talk about three we talk about three topics. Number one, the first topic you're about to think is, geez, what a softball question it is to ask of a realtor about how to find a great real estate agent. This is the question that I asked Jason. He is a fantastic real estate agent. And you know what? Sometimes I I think that I've been spoiled all these years that I've had just this amazing source of properties um, as a realtor. And sometimes I take, you know, you might take it for granted when that's really what you get a little bit spoiled of. And, but that's not the case. So I asked Jason this question about what does it take to find, how do you find a, a great real estate investing agent? And you know what? He gave a completely different answer, a fresh take on something that, uh, you know, a question that's probably been answered multiple times. And I'm not going to tell you what his fresh take is, but I want you to listen to it. And I think it is just so indicative of what he, who he is and the kind of thing about building a relationship. Uh, that's the only hint I'm going to give you is about how do you build the relationship. So that's topic number one. Topic number two is where Jason asked me about talking about how do you, what 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 type of property should you buy first? What should be your first property? Like what type of property should you buy? A house? Should you buy a multifamily? Should you buy a duplex? Should you buy a triplex? Fourplex? Multi? Ah, oh, mobile home. Oh, all those options out there. Where do you start? What should be the first property you buy first? And I gave a little bit of a different answer than most people um, would give. And that's, you know, one of the things I want to do is we want to give just a little bit of a different take on topics that a lot of people have talked about. So that's topic number two. And then topic number three, as we talk about, is what advice would we give somebody if you're, you know, whether you're a veteran or whether you're a rookie, what actions should you take in 2021 if you're just getting going on this journey within real estate? And we take a longer term perspective. Now, I wish I'd... You know, I'd heard a lot of these things, but I never actually paid a lot of attention to it. Sometimes when you're just getting started and you're just getting going, you just want to, there's so much you have to learn and there's so many details you have to figure out and you're just going, ah, how do I analyze properties? Where do I get the mortgage? You start thinking about all the tactics. Um, But Jay and I back it up a little bit and we actually take a 30,000 foot view first if you're starting in, in real estate in 2021, what action should you take? So guys, this is another one of those three episodes in one. I'll just give you a quick little heads up as as um, we're going through. Because um, they didn't flow 100% into one led into the other. So you might hear a little breakup between each of the three topics with a little bit of the um, theme music in between. So don't, don't think we're at the end. There are three episodes in this one long form. And I just put a little bit of music in between uh, each of them to just kind of you know, make a little bit of a seamless transition. So if you do hear that little music, just know we're just getting into another topic and there's more to come. Okay, gang. So hope you're having yourself a wonderful day. Um, Engage with this, leave the feedback, leave a review, share it with as many people you want and make sure you go right to the end because I also have a little message for you at the end. Okay, gang, let's get after it. Uh, Jason, is it cold enough for you? 
Well, I tell you, typical Alberta blue sky weather, Russ, it's about minus 28 degrees, about a 60 kilometer an hour wind. I was actually out this morning doing some closings for some clients from actually out your way in a little bit warmer clients or climate, I should say, but uh, it's cold, you know, and it's, it's, it, it keeps coming. I, I think reprieve is in the next week sometime, but you know, I heard that a week ago almost, so we're taking yeah. it day by day. Yeah. So Jay, you know, well, I know we're going to date this a little bit, but it is right. It's we're right in the middle of February and there's a cold snap coming through in Alberta. And, you know, out here in BC, we're actually having a cold snap too, Jay. We actually hit minus two. I'm sorry to say it is uh, the, the pain is real. I, I, I feel your pain, my brother. Well, I tell you, the first day we get minus two in Alberta, you're probably going to see some swimsuits walking up and down the sidewalk, right? It's going to literally feel like summertime, I'm sure. Jay, mm. you're, you're now just talking about you in swimsuits in the same vein. Or, or so, so thank you for that image, by the way. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. So, so welcome back. Um, we're going to try something a little bit different here. Um, I honestly don't know how this is going to go. And I'm usually a pretty stickler that I usually have to know everything, how this is going to flow and everything like that. But you know what Jay and I have made a commitment to do is to pick a one day a week and we're just going to get on a camera and we're just going to shoot some content. And what we're going to do here today, as I'm going to set the context, is we're going to take three topics, essentially three questions, and we are just going to offer some guidance and some coaching for anybody who wants to listen to this. And today is going to be a little bit more what I would call maybe a little bit more on the getting started side of things. But guys, here's here's something really cool. You have two people here with, you know, better part of 200 plus transactions, multi-million dollars of transactions. We've done 40 years of experience, give or take, between the two of us. And we're going to share with you some insights uh, on some getting started topics and then also some deeper topics. And we're just going to go back and forth and we're just going to hash out a couple topics. Are you are you game for that, Jay? Yeah, sounds good. Yep. I You haven't uh, enlightened me on the topics yet, so you know what? Let's roll with it. <laughs> uh, well, so so you're telling me I'm not prepared. Is that what you're saying, Jay? I just I just uh, heard that I, very clearly. I, I'm saying I might not be prepared. Yeah, I'm sure you're very prepared. But you know what? It's going to be, uh, uh, as always, based on experience. And I think just the real deal, right? It's uh, We've always said it's we're in a, a different position. It's not about us. We can really help people. Or if we can help people save some of those lumps that we took, Russ. Yep. And I know I took some lumps. I know you took some lumps. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's made us who we are today, right? It's all good. Absolutely. Okay, so for this first one, Jay, I'm going to go first. I'm going to read. I'm going to let the question in. Now, I'm going to call this one. I'm not going to call it a softball question for you. But this will actually be a very difficult question for you. Because, um, you know, you are a realtor. And you've been a realtor for pretty well your entire real estate investing career. The first question I'm going to ask is what are some tips and some strategies for re real estate investors to find a good real estate agent or a realtor? Okay. I'm going to dive in wow. first and then we'll banter this back and forth. Now, some okay. of you may be going, you guys go, well, geez, what a softball question to ask of a realtor and stuff like, but this could be a, you know, Jason, you're going to put your hat on as a real estate investor looking for a good realtor or a real estate agent. First of all, first question, I'm going to just ask you this, Jay. What's the difference between an agent and a realtor? What is the difference when people use those terms interchangeably? Nothing really. A real estate agent and a, and a realtor is a licensed individual, licensed to trade in real estate. Yeah. Uh, you know, we used to be called real estate agents years ago, and then you know they've coined the uh, the term now associates. Uh, you know, real estate agent, realtor. To me, it's kind of all the same file, right? Okay, You're, we're now, trading in real estate. Yeah. So it's realtor. It's not realtor. Not a realtor. <laughs> yeah. We, we hear that lots. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's okay. My my own parents call me that. So it's, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm not going to correct anyone. It's all good. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you call as long as you call him Jay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's about the relationship. Okay. So I'm going to go first. Um, I'm going to say a tip to find a good real estate agent is one that has to be enthusiastic to work with real estate investors. Now, hear me out for a second. Not all real estate agents have an appetite to work with real estate investors. It's a very unique 
it's 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 a unicorn. It's a rare breed of some real estate agents that like to work with investors. As a matter of fact, some agents absolutely, when you come in the door and you say, I'm, a, I'm an investor, they just say, ah, okay, <laughs> down the street is where you want to go talk to that person down there. So the first thing I would say is the real estate agent needs to be enthusiastic to want to work with investors. Your turn, brother. Okay, I'll, I'll build off that. Yes, you have to be enthusiastic. This is a... Uh, I guess a craft, for lack of better terms, of being able to, you know, handle a transaction for a real estate investor because the transaction for a real estate investor versus someone moving into it is different. Not so much the transaction itself, Russ, of when we get to an offer and and negotiation and back. You know, that's that's very similar, but it's it's the lead up to it. It's the information that an investor needs versus someone that's moving into a home to live in it as a personal residence. And let's face it, real estate investors, it's all business. It's all about the numbers and, you know, setting people up, you know, for success for the long term. Yeah. So um, I would say that they need to be an expert in essence. So enthusiastic, another word starts with E is they need to probably be an expert. They need to know what they're talking about when, when understanding the language. Of uh, for a real estate investor, don't they? Well, the, the and that's on two sides of the fence. So understanding, you know, the the language for the investor, but you know, th- there's one key ingredient here, Russ, that is going to make this work for a real estate investor, and that and that's called, you know, a customer or better known as the tenant. So the the whole, you know, the the tenant market and the rental market and you know the tenant profiles that live in these types of properties. You know, you you need to almost be an expert in that as well. You need to understand it. Uh, you know, of uh, again, what our customer, our tenant, that's going to be paying us rent, and in some cases, you know, two thousand dollars a month. They're giving you twenty four thousand dollars a year. Uh, you, you know, so you got to understand what these people want. Uh, you know, in their homes and understand their budget, and uh, you know, I guess the. The, the the family profile that lives within that. So yeah. there's there's just so much more than, uh, like I say, looking at a property and, uh, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I'll sum it up as this. It's, it's the information of being able to find the information for an investor. So if I can circle back to the original question, how do you find that? I'll just throw some questions out there. Some you know that if I was looking in a, in a in a different market other than Edmonton for a realtor, I would ask them what what they own. How many properties do you own, and what type of properties do you own? And I would ask why do you own those types of properties. Yeah. I would ask what what your tenants are. Uh, you know, and is that the actual tenant profile that you tried to achieve uh, when you bought the property, or is this you kind of bought the property and ended up with this tenant profile and have had to make that work? Uh, you know, and then I guess on the economic side, the, the fundamental side is just understanding the overall, uh, housing market, the job market, you know, and being involved with planning and development in municipalities of, you know, transportation changes. What is the municipality planning for maybe any density changes and, and maybe any bylaws that will affect construction or parking or, uh, you know, being able to increase density in actual properties. These are living, breathing things that happen to us. You know, in Edmonton here, have happened to us quite a bit yeah. in the last 24 months, all of yeah. the above. So we're just throwing out some gold nuggets here, Jay. You know, we've talked about, so we're, everything's starting with letter E. We're talking about that they have to be enthusiastic to work with investors. They have to be experts at working with investment-grade property. And they also have to have the experience of wanting to work with investors. Now, I'm going to share with you guys a, a golden tip. And Jay, I'm actually, let's, let's, let's try this one on. I'm actually going to, this is one of what I call my golden question when I come and I ask a good agent to, to test them a little bit. Um, and I'm going to try this on you, Jay, to see how you would do. Okay. So no pressure. Okay. Here's what it is. So I would come to you and say, Jay, you know, I'm an investor. I'm looking to do this after we've had a little bit of a conversation. You get to know me. We talk about the Rough Riders. We talk about the weather, talk about our families, get to understand. And I'm going to ask you a question is, Jay, what would be the best investment opportunity you have on your books right now and why? How would you answer that? Now, time, time out, guys, before you answer that, Jay, what I just did was give you a powerful question to ask to see how this person's going to answer it, because you can tell very clearly if the person is a real estate investment expert by the way they kind of handle this question. 
So okay, Jay. Well, great, great segue, Russ. Thank you, and 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 yeah, that's a good stiff question. And I think you know I would probably turn that around and comment and ask you a question right back because the best deal is different for everybody. And if I can throw you maybe the best deal that I think is on on the table right now, that might not be what you would consider a best deal. So I would turn around and ask you, you know, what's more important to you uh, as far as either cash flow or capital appreciation? I would also ask you, how much time do you have to take care of this investment? And try and understand, I guess, the uh, and line those two dots up with, you know, the performance measures, your budget, and then make sure that that deal will fit into what you're trying to achieve and also fit into your lifestyle. Once I have those three answers, I can throw deals at you all day long. But until I have those three answers, I'm just going to be sending you, you know, deals that you may or may not like. And let's face it, time is valuable. And I think as we're all getting a little bit older, the the the, the time becomes more valuable. So we want to work efficiently. Yep. And at the end of the day, it's about helping people get what they want. So if they're willing to share that, you know, like I say, we can traditionally throw deals at them all day long. Yeah. Wow. So so guys, what Jay just demonstrated for you in real time, and we did not rehearse this in one way, shape, or form. Although we do know each other and we do talk every day. What Jay just demonstrated for you is a real estate agent that cares about the relationship more than just doing a transaction, right? In, in essence, that's what you just did is you want to make sure you fit the right investment asset with the right person, not just transact another property. Because like you said, it was just golden that I could send you all this kind of stuff, but that would be my lenses and my filters of what I, what I think is great. But mm-hmm. it's not what you're looking for. If you're if you're looking for your first home or you're looking for, you know, a 192-unit apartment building and I threw you the wrong opportunity, your first thing, first response for me would be, well, this guy just doesn't understand who I am and he's out to lunch, right? Yeah. Well, let me give you just a, a real quick example on that of two scenarios where this might apply is, <clears throat> you know, when I talk with real estate investors, you know, daily, uh, you know, and sometimes several times a day, but... If someone comes in and we've had, here's here's two live examples. The the first part, the person comes in and they say, Jason, look at, you know what? We'd like to buy real estate where we've, you know, would like to move into the Edmonton marketplace. We've got this much capital I would like to, you know, invest with. And we're taking it off a secured line of credit of a personal residence. We would like the ability for the property to be able to cover the interest cost on a secured line of credit if possible. And you know what? It'd be even be great if we could even have some cash flow on top of that. Okay, great. Point taken. Now we need to find a property that is going to produce a little bit more cash flow. These people are going to hire a property manager. I had a call earlier this week with a gentleman from Toronto as well that he said, look, at, I'd want zero headache. This is a long-term play for me. I'm in my early 30s right now. Uh, you know, I've got a couple hundred thousand dollars that I'm looking to invest. It has to be completely hands off with zero headache. I do not need the cash flow. I'm working. I make a good living. I'm after the long term security of a real estate asset. Great. That just absolutely tells me right there the property class or the property type, if you will, you know, that will be most beneficial for these people. It'll also fit their budget and it's going to fit their lifestyle, you know, and it's going to be a real treat for them to own. Yep. Now, one of the ways, the reasons why this question came up that I wanted to address this is, and sometimes I, I have I have to take it, for, you know, maybe I'm taking it for granted on how lucky I've been right from the very beginning on how I had an amazing realtor that provides me amazing properties right from day one. And it came out, I was having a conversation with this guy and he was talking about, I'm struggling to find deals. I'm struggling to find properties. I'm struggling to this. I'm struggling to find this opportunity. I said, well, why don't you just contact your realtor? That's that's their job to go out and find you deals. And he goes, I have realtors and they don't come back with any deals. (laughs) And I go, well, isn't that their job? And then I had to stop and go back and sit there and I go, maybe I've taken it for granted that I've just been very lucky and blessed that I have an amazing realtor that just sends me deals, right? Like, for example, after we've gotten to know each other and you know what I like and you know the type of investment criteria I have, what's your response, Jay, usually when I come to you and I say, Jay, I'm ready to acquire another property, got some capital partners lined up, I'm ready to go. What's your response typically? How much capital and how soon do you want it and how many? 
yeah, how many and how soon? Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's what yeah. I want to have as a response from my realtor. I want to have enthusiasm. I want to have as an expert. I want to know that he understands me. Right. So if we were really to just recap it, right, guys, again, it's they have to be enthusiastic to work with realtors or with investors. They have to be an expert at investment grade properties. Well, you know, not somebody who's maybe done one or two or five or ten. Not that there's anything wrong. Right. Somebody who's hungry is good, too. They mm-hmm. have to have experience, many years in the business to know the good, the bad, and the ugly about what's going on and what areas to avoid. Like when there's areas when touch with the 10-foot pole, how do we know that? Because we've, <laughs> we've been in those areas and we understand the tenant profiles. And they have to understand, and most important, they have to understand your needs and want to build a relationship. Anything else we want to add to that question, Jay? No, I think that's pretty good, Russ. I think at the end of the day, I've always said it's always about the relationship and the way I look at it and not saying other realtors don't, but it's uh, my job is exactly that to sit and listen and understand what you want and help you get it. And part of that is finding deals. And part of that is qualifying those deals. And a lot of that is actually getting the information that an investor needs for them to make an informed decision. I'm not the one making a decision, right? And uh, like I say, if we can spend a little bit of time up front and and, uh, and understand what an investor is after, it really makes it easy for us to go and find that. And the closing note on that is just to make sure that it's going to fit long-term, not only you know the tenant profile, but make sure the property fits. Because you've heard me say it a hundred times, this is the fun, easy part of going out and you know, looking at deals and the, and the the buying part, it's fun. It really is. It's fun and it's, you know, it's ex- exciting. But, you know, there's going to be a time in the near future where we're going to hand you or your property manager a set of keys. And that's where that experienced realtor I've known to look for, you know, the separate entrances and the, the extra parking and making sure there's no fire hydrant in front for eliminating park. Just little details like that that are really going to shine through on one's financial statement long term. And this is stuff that you cannot see on a pro forma. It's easy to create a pro forma and punt it out there and say, here's the numbers on it. But quite frankly, there's a lot, uh, you know, maybe that you can't see at time of acquisition that uh, we should still be looking at. Absolutely. Hey, Russ, I got a great question for you. You know, and this is one that we probably hear a ton of times on this side, but you know what? I'm going to throw one back at the coach this time. So, so we're we calling the show the, the, the kid and the coach or something. Is that what we're calling you? <laughs> well, probably more like Mutt and Jeff, but let me lob a <laughs> softball your way and, and see, you know, and get your opinion on this because I know a lot of people that are probably listening or, or watching, you know, are sitting in this exact circumstance right now wondering which course of action to take. Yep. So if you were to buy your very first property, what type of property would you buy? What property would you buy in general? Okay, so so let's put a quick premise on that question is that it is the first property, right? So here's what I would actually suggest. I, I suggest because we live in Canada, and I know there's going to be a worldwide audience that will watch this, I would highly encourage people to buy their first principal residence first. Because in Canada, we, you know, we have this wonderful thing as a, you know, a tax-free gain on the capital gains of our principal residence. I think you should buy your first house the biggest, the best house you can afford to live in and go forward, you know, and buy a principal residence. Now, here's the cool thing, and we'll, let's get into it. You and I are going to riff off this, and we actually have a real-life case study that we're working with a young fellow on this right now. I think you can have your cake and eat it, too, where you potentially could buy a principal residence, house with a suite. If you were single, you could live in the suite, and you could rent the upstairs out and you could get into this principal residence for five, 10% down payment, CMHC insured mortgage. Uh, banks love lending to homeowners at the same time. Part of the rent that's going to be uh, generated from the upstairs will go towards the qualification a little bit of your mortgage qualification. And then you could have both a rental property and a principal residence all at the same time. That would be my first recommendation is you should look to buy your first principal residence first. So, Russ, let's back up on that a little bit. You said the income from the upper suite qualifying or helping the person qualify for the mortgage. So we're assuming that you're talking about a home with a secondary suite in it. 
Correct. And can you elaborate a little bit on the the income portion that you're going to get and how that person can use that to help them qualify for that bigger, better property right up front? Yeah. So so each bank has a little bit of a different rule. And unfortunately, I'm not a mortgage broker. I don't know all of them, but I'll give some general terms. Um, for example, I know some lenders will give 50% rental offset if you rent out, say, you're upstairs. Say you live in the basement, and if you rent upstairs is say, $1,800, you would get $900 that would credit towards your income qualification uh, of that. So they would take all your job letters, all your other sources of income, whether you're getting down payment from mom and dad, all those kind of things, whether mom and dad is, is co-signing, and they would add $900 a month from the income from the upstairs, and that might actually tip you over the edge to be able to buy a house with a suite in it. Absolutely. Now, even, uh, I guess another question that would probably come up on that that I'll ask you is, we all know what a DCR is, a debt coverage ratio. If you are buying a personal residence, is a lender going to be looking at the DCR of the actual rental investment? Or is this something that is going to be a, a, a what we would call a high ratio mortgage or CMHC insured mortgage? And that stuff could potentially all fly underneath the radar. Uh, well, you know, bottom line is banks all have their individual rules. But here's the thing is when they look at you differently when you're saying I'm buying it for my personal residence. They completely, they in, in Canada, homeowners typically pay their mortgages, right? And it's one of the easiest mortgages for a mortgage broker to get. It's one of the most friendly because they know the default rate on a homeowner in Canada is next to zero, right? And you potentially could get into it for next to, you know, for like I said, a 10% down payment or less in some cases, depending on your strength. Now, here's another thing, and this is a, and we'll get into this case study of this young fellow that we're, we were both had conversations with, and I, he's probably getting really close to pulling the trigger in the next little while, we're not sure. But here's the thing that I also would challenge somebody, if you are looking to, if this is truly your first purchase, take a look at the Home Buyers Program put out by... Um, is it, C is it CMHC or it's either CMHC or CRA that puts it out? But if you Google Home Buyers Program, which states that you can potentially take up to, I believe, $35,000 out of your RSP to be used as a down payment towards a principal residence, your first principal residence, right? The first time home buyer program, okay? That could be potentially your down payment. Maybe you have some RSPs sitting there that you could pull out tax, you know, without paying tax, use that as your down payment. Or here's the other thing that I share with some people at the same time. I'm getting a little bit on the skinny branches here with the strategy, but follow me out with this. Is let's say down payment is coming from mom and dad. Let's say that's where it's coming from. Um, you know, I think that's awesome. Maybe this is a way, if mom and dad is watching this, this is maybe a way of getting Junior out of the house sooner than rather than later, maybe mom and dad deposited the $35,000 into the RSP. If you have the RSP room, then you can use that as the withdrawal against your, for your down payment, you get the instant tax refund of the 35,000 bucks, and then you can qualify for the first time home buyers program in Canada at the same time. So truly you can eat your cake, get your, you know, have your cake and eat it too, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a name out there, Andrew, if you're watching or listening, we're, we're talking about you now, and this is a live example, you know, that we're talking about is, you know, a young fellow that has the, he doesn't have a family yet. So this is the prime example for him to be able to move into this type of circumstance. And, you know, uh, it, he can live in a, in a, in a secondary suite, no problem. He doesn't need any more space than that. And in the live example of putting only 5% down payment, he can almost live for free in building number one. He's going to be short about three to $400 a month, you know, but, you know, there's going to be, uh, I guess the, the upside on that is after he would leave and maybe move into an additional property in the next year or two, that property by renting both suites, even at 5% down would be in a positive cash flow situation. Now, what this young gentleman's talking to doing is he's looking at buying two of them, you know, and let's just use a side-by-side -side duplex building as an example to where we've got four rental units up and down 
and he's living in one side of him and he's putting 5% on the first one and 20% down on the second one. And in the whole grand scheme of things in that one building, he's going to live for free and still be over $400 a month positive cash flow after expenses. After, if he would move on and turn that into a full-time rental product, he's still going to be over $800 a month positive cash flow. So, uh, Russ, maybe there's some links in that, you know, in the, after the video that we can put into maybe steer people into this program with CRA, uh, you know, or look into it with, with a, if you've got the ability, you know, when you're a single person or a couple, uh, you know, to, to live in a, in a lower secondary suite, even if you were living in the main suite and renting out the secondary suite, it, it's still going to be beneficial, right? Yep. And after the fact, if this is, you know, they move on and move into another property in a year or two as the family grows or whenever that time is, you know, even at today's interest rates and like I say, at the lower down payment, the property with the secondary suite will still be in a positive cash flow situation, even with that low down payment. And you know what? We're all real estate investors. If you look at the ROI, of course, anytime you're putting less money into it, the, the ROI goes through the roof. Yeah. So I guess a succinct answer to your question is, you know, what would be the first type of property you buy? I, I don't I don't concern myself typically of the type. What I would actually concern myself more of, is there a possibility that I can live in it and rent part of it out if it's my first home and um, help offset all my costs? So essentially, you know, I guess that's a fancy way people are talking about house hacking and all that kind of stuff. Essentially, that's the way I bought my first rental property. Now, I'm going to contradict my advice here. I bought... Sorry, that's how I bought my first personal residence. I'm going to contradict my advice. I bought 10 rental properties before I bought my first principal residence. Now, if I was to look at it again, I probably should have bought that first principal residence first. I prob- I, that's the advice I would give myself, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, and what I did was I found somebody who was a contractor, owned a painting company, had all the trades. We found a house in Coquitlam. It had a basement suite in it and had a spot for a second basement suite that could be put into it, okay? So we bought the place. I qualified as a first-time home buyer, right? So I took money from my RSPs out as a first-time home buyer. I think we got in with 5% down, the two of us together. The other partner did all the work, right? They did all that work. They put in the second suite. They used all their trades. They used all their people. And after we were done, we essentially lived upstairs and we had two suites in the basement and we were living for under 300 bucks a month is what our, our costs were to own that place. We bought the place for, <laughs> I'm probably going to stretch myself in the numbers here a bit. Well, we bought the place for 360 after we put in, I think we put in 40 into it. So we're into it for 400. When I exited out, I exited out at seven and change. And I know my partner who bought me out exited out at 1.4 million. So, oops, <laughs> probably should have found good. a way to hang on to that a little longer, AJ. <laughs> well, you know, I was going to say, but here's Martin, the point. Here, yeah, here's the thing I'm trying to get to, guys. Is I got into that with like a 5% down payment pulled from my RSPs as a first time home buyer. I only paid $300 a month in rent and I doubled my investment within like three or four years. And the reason why I moved out is because I fell in love with an amazing woman and we decided to go get our own place and they, she didn't want to move in with a roommate for some reason, Jay. Go figure. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> so listen, Russ, I got, I guess just to clarify on that for people listening and watching, the personal residence that you bought was a personal residence structured, sorry, the financing was structured as a personal residence. 100%. But if, if I'm reading between the lines, you have, you know, had, I guess, uh, you know, the intent of having secondary income from that, from a, an additional suite, and knew this was a transition for you that you would be moving, you know, in a year or two or three or four, whatever that timeline was. And then that property was going to become an investment property for you. 100%. That was my intention, right? Yeah. Because I think just to clarify the question of buying a personal residence, if you're going out and buying a personal residence without a secondary suite or that income stream, you know, I I think I would probably have to maybe, uh, you know, uh, you know, fire back at you a little bit because I know just from experience that if people are buying a personal residence, you know, and say it's their dream home before investment, that that can hamper their mortgageability. 
And people ask that all the time too. And we see people doing that. People need to live in a house. However, you know, the fact that you bought 10 investment properties first before buying your personal residence in today's lending environment would probably be advantage investor. But I think the strategy that we're trying to bring forth today is that if you have the ability to take advantage of the financing structure of a personal residence with a secondary suite, this is where we're targeting. Yeah. Now, now 100% times were a little different back then, and we're going to go back into the way back time machine here a little bit. The reason why I, on my 11th property, I decided to get a principal residence because my mortgage broker at the time was taking a look at my portfolio review and said, Russ, I think it's time to buy a personal residence because banks like people with personal residence better than renters of basement suites at the time. <laughs> and I said, makes sense. So can I still qualify for a first-time home buyer, even though I've bought 10 places? And he said, yeah, have you lived in anything? Have you deemed any of them as a personal residence? And I said, nope. Okay, there you go. And I qualified for a first-time home buyer at that time. Now, don't get me wrong. I guess they're saying, well, maybe you're skirting the issue here. You had an intention as a revenue property. I lived in it. I lived in it for almost three years. So I really, I moved in. We're not talking about you just buying a personal residence, I put my sleeping bag in it. And then I'm going to the next day, I'm going to move out and rent out everything. Guys, do it above board here, please. Is do you, if you say it's going to be a principal residence, do move in. But I think there's a wonderful an opportunity for somebody maybe getting started, maybe young, single. Uh, Jay talked about buying one of those side-by-sides with suites. Since you got four rental units, you live in one, rent the other three out. You're not only getting positive cash flow, you're living for free. I think that's an absolute no-brainer. And guys, if you are in that boat and you're young and you're buying your first place, um, you may be making a presentation to mom and dad maybe to help you qualify or maybe come up with some down payment. Maybe you're making a joint venture presentation to mom and dad to help you be able to do this kind of a transaction. All right, Jay, so final question here for you today in the, the, the kid and the coach show here, if you will. So we need to, we need to bring this out into a live broadcast, maybe, you know, and, and, and I'm being tongue in cheek when I'm saying this because we are recording this one. I have an intention that I would love to have this as a weekly live broadcast and we're just going to talk some topics and it's just going to be the, the coach and the kid, if you will, just riffing on some real estate. All right, Jay, one more question that I want to dive into here today. So, okay, so we're going to have to go into the way back time machine here. Woo, do, 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 do the way back time machine. Um, I've got hair. You have a few more follicles on your head too. Barely. Yeah, barely. There's a, there's a few less gray hairs in the beard. And it's still 2021, but you and I are both just getting started today. Like we're just buying, we're just getting in, involved in real estate investing today. And I'm going to jump in and answer a few of these myself and give you some advice as well. But what advice would you give to somebody starting in 2021 if you're just getting out into the real estate market right now? Wow. Okay. So just to be clear, if someone is uh, really looking to start their investment career today, yes. Today. What advice would I give? I would probably jump right to know your end game, where you want to end up. And uh, I think I asked that for, for those of you listening and watching that have had a chance to, to, to connect with me. I've, I always ask where real estate fits. Uh, you know, is it part of a long-term wealth plan? Is it part of a retirement plan? Is it, you know, get rich quick? You know, what are you trying to do with it? And where does it fit in your life? Because... The properties that you're going to look at and the property types that are available will all contribute differently to those equations, I guess. And I think the advice that I would give is, and you don't even need to understand the properties and the property types. I think that's that's our job, you know, to 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 bring that clarity to you. But uh, I didn't do that, Russ. And I guess just talking on a personal experience a little bit. You know, I got caught up in the hype. I mean, back in the day, we, you know, we attended uh, seminars and weekend events and, you know, and I, I got caught up in the hype of real estate investment itself because it's easy, it's exciting, you know, it's fun. And, uh, you know, I, I, I bought a lot of my first properties off of a sheet of paper, off a of pro forma. And, uh, you know, not saying that that's not a viable step to look at, but, uh, 
you know, the experience was good for the first little bit, but where, you know, I ended up getting caught was a year or two or three down the road when there was, you know, hidden expenses, you know, with furnace costs and renovation costs or that uh, I bought some properties with tenants in them. And when they left, you know, the tenants left me with a mess and I needed a ten or $12,000 renovation bill. But at the end of the day, if you've got the stomach for that and it's part of your long-term plan, that's great. We just, if that's the property type you are looking at, you know, we just need to make sure that up front and allocate maybe for those costs or understand what those potential costs might be because if it's part of a retirement plan, uh, you know, I think, you know, you want to come in with your 20% down and keep as clean to that as you can and not be in a situation where you have to contribute any more capital unless it's going towards mortgage principal reduction or buying further assets. So. Yeah. Answer the question. That's where I would understand your end game first. Yep, and I'm going to play. I'm going to build off of that. Um, as a matter of fact, that's why I took the time to build out um, an entire five part training series. It's on my podcast. It's also on the YouTube. So probably wherever you're watching or listening to this, you'll be able to find that. Is what's the end game? But let's put it into a plan. Like let's put it into a pragmatic. 15-year believable plan, like how many properties will you need? What kind of retirement income are you looking to do? And I built out a plan for people, which this is actually, I built it off of a plan that you and I have talked about for I don't know how many years. I just put it into a pretty PowerPoint presentation. And it's one of those ones that I wish somebody would have shared with me 15, 20 years ago. Um, Things would be a a lot different. But what it does is it breaks out a plan on how you can make a $1.8 million real estate asset base and you can generate $93,000 a year over a 15-year time frame. Now, there's lots of variables and I'm not going to, it's literally an hour case study that I walk people through. So if you guys are interested in that, by all means, uh, check out a link around here where you can get that information. Okay, so first step would be have a plan. Okay. The next thing I'm going to dive into here is, uh, and this is going to be very ironic, the point I'm going to make here, uh, meaning that we're going to be, this is going to be on YouTube and it's going to be on podcast. So here's the irony of it is stop watching YouTube videos and stop listening to podcasts that are so uh, shotgun approach that it just doesn't do you any service. Meaning I understand education and I understand learning and I understand doing being exposed to different investment opportunities. But if you're just getting started um, to learn on a podcast of how somebody's buying a mobile home park or somebody, how they're doing land development or how somebody is um, buying a, a 50 unit apartment building or how somebody is building out their team and growing and scaling probably won't do you any any service. And and how I know this is I have conversations all the time with people that are just getting started and they're almost more confused now than ever before. They truly are. And then what I do is I just ground them in. I go, what's the next step? Like, what is the first step you want to take? The first step you want to take is maybe it's, you know, buying that first principal residence. Okay, let's reverse engineer a plan and how you do that. Okay, so here's the point. Educate yourself, but understand that you educate yourself with a purpose and get laser beam focused on the action and understand that a lot of the YouTube and podcasts is entertainment. It's not education. Well, I think on that note, Russ, you you have to be laser focused in this approach because in the real estate investing world, there's so much gray noise, there's so much traffic and so many opinions that I think one can easily get caught chasing shiny things, if you will, and and veering off track. If you've got your target and you know what your end game is, listen, no one should be able to tell you any different. If, if you know what you're trying to achieve in a five and a 10 and a 15 year period, just stay laser focused on that and make sure you achieve that and don't lose sight of that. But I think I also wanted to just maybe add to what you had mentioned, Russ, of, you know, of, of, uh, not only keeping laser focused, but don't try and start today and compare yourself to people that are buying, you know, uh, 85 unit apartment block or, you know, land development or as you will. Just going back to your example and referring back to your plan of a $1.8 million uh, asset-based retirement plan, 
how many properties do you need to buy to accommodate that approximately? Yeah. And let's get this in perspective because people, it's not this great big pie in the sky plan. This is actually a real achievable plan that really anyone can start and complete. But how many properties does it involve? Yeah, well, it, it involves eventually having three free and clear places. That's the case study I shared in that. Essentially, it would be three suited houses, free and clear. So essentially, six rental units that were free and clear over course of time, which means you had to probably buy nine properties over a five-year time frame to then manage them, start paying them down, and then eventually sell off six to have three free and clear. And over a 15-year time frame with three free and clear properties, they will be valued approximately $1.8 million and generate about $92,000 a year income for you. Right. And free and clear title, again, the number of assets. That's almost a swear word, isn't it? Free and clear. Everybody, it's like everybody is... (laughs) Leverage, leverage, leverage. Well, everybody's refi till you die. And that's the lesson that I teach people eventually too, is guys, eventually this borrowed money has to be paid back, right? It does. So what's the plan to pay it back? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to jump over there, Jay. No, that's another great point. That's just a whole nother segment of, uh, you know, understanding that end goal. And, uh, you know, it's, it's in a lot of cases really easy. And let's face it, I mean, we're life circumstances change for each of us. They're different for each of us. And, you know, when you go through a market situation like what our, uh, you know, Vancouver friends and our Toronto friends listening to this right now, where you've seen such massive amounts of capital appreciation over the last five, six, seven, eight years, you know, and you're sitting on five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars worth of equity. You know, it's probably pretty easy to think, hey, how can I access this? And you know, but I guess the point is, Russ, is that you know, if you're going to access it, put it to good use, right? Yep. And if you're not, uh, you know, make sure you you understand how you're going to pay that back. Yeah. Uh, another point I'm going to say is uh, I'm going to jump in with the point here. If, if starting in 2021. Um, be prepared to build out a team of people. You can't do it all yourself. Uh, the mo- one of the most important people up front that I would tell that you need to do is you need to get in front of a good qualified mortgage broker to find out where you stand financially, if you can qualify for mortgages, yes or no. That's where you. That is a fundamental first step that you need to take. Is you know, I'm not saying go and you know, make a full-blown application, but just find out where you stand. And most qualified mortgage brokers with maybe just a few numbers and a few metrics and maybe a questionnaire can probably tell if you have a chance of qualifying for a mortgage or do you need help or do you just, you know, things are just that dire that you have to go a completely different direction. But I think knowing where you stand financially is a fantastic first step. Well, on, on uh, just to clarify that, Russ, and build off that, you can easily fill out an application with a mortgage broker that can give you parameters, but please just make sure you're as truthful as possible on that application because if you take that information and you maybe bend it a little bit to make the application look good, when you get to an actual you know, formal uh, financing application with an offer to purchase, your mortgage broker or the lender is going to circle back I guess what they're going to want to verify all that information that you told them on that application. So if you've if your income's off, if your asset base, you know, uh, I think you're always better off to maybe fly in a little bit conservative on those applications. And uh, like I say, the mortgage expert should be able to give you your parameters, uh, you know, of what you can qualify for and how many. And and really, you can take that to the next step and start looking at at real opportunities that'll fit that 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 mold. Absolutely. What would be another tip you would offer, Jay, if somebody is just getting started in 2021? Well, I think we talked about understanding your 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 end game and, uh, you know, keeping focused with it. Uh, you know, I think another real good tip is is. Uh, and you, and kind of building off that with, with the team is is circling yourself with you know, I'm going to say this and it's, it might might not sound politically correct, but avoid the vultures. You know, find yourself and surround yourself with good people that, you know, I think will, you know, legitimately help you get what you want. And you got to understand, and Russ, you, you said it earlier, is that it's really, really hard to do this yourself, especially if you're living long distance. However, you know, there are people out there in this world, uh, you know, that can really help you 
on the ground on this side of Edmonton is your marketer, regardless of where your market is, you know, uh, you know, surround yourself with good people. And I think the, the easy way to do that. And one thing that I always offer to any new customer coming in is, you know what, do you want some names and numbers to talk to people that have, you know, used our services and talk to them, hear it from them. Don't hear it from me. Uh, you know, and just talk with other people that have gone through the experience. Um, you know, cause I think, you know what, it's a, it's a hard world out there right now. And, you know, I, I, if there's people that, you know, are, you know, chasing the transaction, I guess, so to speak for, for a paycheck, I don't think that's entirely right. Not in this business. You know, if, if, uh, I've always come at it from the other way where if you, if you, you know, just really, uh, bang it out of the park. There's many times, let's face it, we're dealing with real estate investors. Most people come and buy one, then they want another one, and they want another. If they come and have a crummy experience with you off the hop or realize that you didn't have their intentions first place, you're never going to see these people again. You know, and they're probably not going to talk well about you. However, by doing the opposite, I think is just, you know, makes for great long-term profitable relationships all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree to that one. Um, I'm going to build on that a little bit, and then I'm going to add another tip here as well. And then, Jay, if you want to add one more, we can do that at the end too. Um, so here's what I'm going to do is, this game of real estate is relationships. It truly is. You will meet some lifelong friends. You will meet some people that you probably don't ever want to deal with ever again. Um, it's how you show up in the transaction and who you become in the process is more than important than the amount of money you make or the or the doors you acquire or any of the other kind of stuff. Your uh, reputation and who you show up is is it's capital for you and it can be gone in a heartbeat. So just be very mindful about your relationships and my real estate relationships are worth more to me than any individual asset that I own. I love some of my houses. Some of them I, you know, hope nobody's listening. I wish they would burn down. <laughs> but but I, I I my treasured assets are the people in my database and the people on my phone that I can pick up if I'm having a I pick up my phone and if I'm having trouble and I can reach out to a good friend and I just have an amazing relationship with people. That is the true asset that you're investing in and that you have is your relationships. All right, I'm going to offer one more tip before we go. And if you have another one, Jay, we can add it in or we can you know, potentially wrap it up if you want. Here's a big mistake that I made. And I wish I had learned this one a while ago is um, tenant profile matters and understanding who you're renting to, understanding who your customer is, is vitally important to having a successful real estate investor. Now, take it another step forward, and I know we've shot a video on this, it's called the three pillars of real estate. Understand your tenant profile, match that tenant profile that you want to work with, with the right house in the right neighborhood, and you stand a better chance of having an incredible ownership experience as a real estate investor. Now, how did I make some of these mistakes? I bought cheap properties based upon proformers that looked great on paper. I had no consideration for the tenant profile. And lo and behold, I, I embarrassing to say that I've been contacted multiple times by police that there was gunfire in some of my properties, <laughs> right? So I had no consideration for the tenant profile. And if you take it the next step, so all I'm trying to say, guys, is... And vice versa, Russ. Yeah. And vice versa, the tenant profile had no consideration for you as the owner either. Absolutely. So, so just give a consideration to who the customer is. And very few people actually will do that work. Now, it's funny. I was just on a, a Facebook group today and people were talking about having a bad tenant experience and how do I not have a bad tenant experience? And what I just, my advice to them is start with the customer and the tenant in mind, match that customer with the right property in the right area. And you stand a greater chance of having fewer issues. You truly do. You want to expand on that, Jay? Well, I think it's, uh, it's like any business process. It's a repeatable process. So if you don't understand who your customer is up front and you don't buy uh, a property in a location that those people will want to uh, rent, 
you're going to be, you know, trying to jam a square peg in a round hole every time you have a vacancy if you're not aware of that up front. Um, and like I say, if it does happen and you're buying and, and you have a specific profile that you want to attract and you design it that way from the start, if you have a tenant turnover and when you have a tenant turnover, you're going to be able to attract that same type of person back in. No. And ultimately, that's how I look at it is who do I want to do business with long term and have a personal relationship with, no. uh, you know, and quite frankly, there's tenants that you mentioned, Russ, we, we don't even want to be these people's friend, let alone have a business or a landlord relationship with them. So just be very mindful of that. Right? Yeah, and treat it, and you, you hit the nail on the head with the, using that word to search the B is treat it like a business, not a hobby. Honest to goodness, guys, if you if you actually just look at it a little bit more, like each one of these houses is a business in a box, right? And you have to have marketing, you have to have sales, you have to have financing, you have to have the accounting, you have to have all those kind of things. And you treat each one of those assets like a business in a box, um, you would probably have a better experience if you just even just gave some consideration to who your customer is and how do you attract that right customer profile. Mm. Um, Jay, anything further from you? Yeah, Russ, good segue. You mentioned the word who, and I think that's a very powerful message just to maybe end off on here is, you know, I think uh, when you're beginning in an investment career, you're, you know, and I, I think it's a good thing to understand it all. I think you need to understand it all. You know, however, I think throughout that process, you need to understand what you specifically are good at and how you contribute to it. And as the investor, there's a lot of investors that come through our doors, Russ, that are business owners or doctors or lawyers or professionals. They make great income. They are making great income. They do not need a secondary job. You know, so I guess where I'm going with that is that, you know, understand where you fit. And, you know, sometimes it's not how, it's who. And this is where you're circling back and just surrounding yourself around who's that can help you get what you want and, and, and good who's. And, you know, when you have a relationship with, with people, you know, it's always a two-way street, you know, it's, it, it, it's give and take. And I think when you're, when you're building your team and you're reaching out to those individuals, understand where everyone fits. And I think if you can manage those relationships and everyone understands what you're trying to achieve, you're going to be successful. It's just to to kick it in the gear and, and, and pull the trigger and make that start is yep. going to be the next biggest challenge. No, nope, right? I hear you. Mm. Well, I think that might be a good place to leave off today's conversation. I heard a little beep in the background of your computer, Jay. It's probably your, your next appointment going to be coming up here as well. Overdue so guys, by eight minutes. Yeah. So guys, wherever you're watching or listening to this, please leave some feedback. If there's some things that you want us to dive into a little bit deeper, I know we talked a, a bit about some getting started topics here in this thing. If you want some deeper dives into a few things, by all means, let us know. We're here to serve. We're, we're here to make a commitment to keep doing these kind of things. And we're just maybe in our old age getting maybe a little more efficient with our time. So Jay, any final words from you before we sign off here today? I think, uh, Russ, you, uh, that's a great uh, request is that if anyone watching or listening, uh, you know, just has questions. Uh, it's just information again, people, right? And I think with the experience uh, you know, that I've gone through, that Russ has gone through, you know what, we are certainly more than willing to 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 offer an opinion on that, good, bad, or ugly. And like I say, it's just information. If it's information that you can take and put it to good use and it'll help you, that's what this is all about. Yeah, yeah. so if we can really categorize that, your advice is the good, mine's the bad and the ugly. If we can really put that... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's let the listeners determine that. <laughs> All right, guys, on that note, you have yourself a wonderful day. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. Hey, 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 sure hope you enjoyed that episode. What do you think? What were some of your key takeaways? Are you just in the boat of maybe needing to find a new real estate um, source of properties, a new realtor? Did you take some notes on how do you build that business? So I 100%, it's, it's a lot different than what most people think about where you're coming in there and going, well, tell me about all your properties. How many properties do you own where you're interviewing them? And, you know, Jay just did such a wonderful job of just turning it around. And really, at the end of the day, I'm... I have a lot of questions that I ask of my real estate agent about experience and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things I'm most importantly looking for is more importantly than the questions or more importantly than the answers to the questions that I have, I'm more keen about what are the questions they're asking me. 
Because the questions they're asking me as the real estate expert will determine if they're interested in just a transaction or if they're interested in building a long-term real estate relationship to help um, help me out on my journey. And it goes both ways, right? It's a relationship. It's all about that. And at the same time, when you have a wonderful realtor relationship, you you share that with people. You share that. You don't keep those resources, you know, hidden. You don't, you don't have a scarcity mindset. You come from an abundance place. You share the resources. That's one of the best ways you can say thank you to your realtor, to your property source, is to share more business with them. All right. Okay. So that was the first one. Then the second one we talked about is what type of property should you buy first? And I went down a different direction and a different path about talking about um, buying your first personal residence and then talked a story about how I bought my first personal residence. And truly, if you implement what I'm talking about, including the case study that Jay and I shared, you could live for free um, out of that. So for those of you, if you're just getting started, maybe, um, you know, young, younger in your journey as a real estate investor, pay attention to that entire story that we talked about. Go back, rewatch it, re-listen to it, all kind of stuff like that. And then the third one we talked about is what do we do if we're just kind of getting started in 2021? This is a different marketplace. This is a unique opportunity. But we took a 30,000 foot view of what it's all about. And I think that'll be very helpful for you if you're just getting um, going on this journey. Okay, so again, three episodes in one. Uh, But before we run off, guys, I wanted to share with you one of the reasons why I recorded this episode in the manner that we did, if you actually think about it, and I think I shared this maybe probably about a month ago, is I'm trying to build out my YouTube channel at the same time. Um, Each of those three topics that Jason and I talked about are standalone, SEO-friendly topics that will go very far in YouTube world. Remember, YouTube is a search engine, and YouTube is a place where people go to find answers. So the reason why I structured it this way of this interview was to have three standalone breakout YouTube videos that I can put up on YouTube that have their own search titles, their own tags, they're they're search friendly, people will find them, and they're all independent of each other. And then when you put all three of them together, like I did in this podcast, you now have yourself a wonderful long form podcast episode, right? So there is some method to this madness, guys. And I hope you are, when you're you know, going through these resources that I'm sharing with you that you're you're watching and you're listening on multiple different levels. Like there, I say this all the time is there's, you know, essentially three ways that you can listen to a presentation. Number one is you can listen to the what the person is saying and you can, you know, t- do what, the, you know, talk, take the action of what they're saying. Right. Number two is you can listen to how they're saying it. How are they framing it? How are they doing their stories? What is their mannerism? How's the inflections of their voice? Do they go fast at times? Do they start to slow down? Right. How are they saying it? And then the most important is what are the implementation actions that you will take from what you learn? It's not about the consumption of as many podcasts as many YouTube videos. It's not about the consumption. It's about what can you create from what you just learn. Okay, guys, hope that all helps. I always like to give a little bit of further insights, you know, at the beginning and the end of each of these podcasts, just, you know, deepen the lessons, if you will. And I guess that's a good place to leave off today. So guys, remember, 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 um, this is how we end off all these podcasts. And you're going, oh, Russ, he's going to do it again. He's doing it again. Yeah, I'm going to do it on every podcast episode I have, because I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help as many people as I possibly can. And if we all adhere to uh, some core values, and the core values I'm going to share are my core values, and my core values are is in every interaction you have with another person, always leave them feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Okay, everybody, bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.